The outline says, where is the world going? That's the question we are asking this morning as we look at Mark 13, verse 1 to verse 37. Now, I'm guessing that is not a question uh, that keeps you up at night. Uh, you know, I hope you don't wake up at night saying, where is the world going? I hope you have a good night of sleep. Uh, but it is a question that all of us are asking, and we ask ourselves quietly in different ways. We turn on the television or log into Twitter, we see the Twitter feed or Facebook, and we see all kinds of things that are going on in the world, and we wish we hadn't logged on. And we ask ourselves, where is the world going? In recent years, uh, the world has faced huge earthquakes, floods, typhoons, heat waves, pandemics, hurricanes, tsunamis, droughts, and currently in Australia, of course, the wildfires. The Global Peace Index for 2019 revealed that the world is now more unstable than it has ever been since the world, Second World War. That's abroad, but as we look closer to home, we, we turn on Sky TV and perhaps we find ourselves watching their Line 18 programs. And they paint a picture of a country, the UK, that is broken. Uh, we are in grip of rising drug taking, violent gun crimes, broken families, run-down areas, rising social divisions. As a nation, we are more divided than we've ever been. And that is before we even mention the growing sexualization of our children. Rampant pedophilia, not just at the local street level, but in, in the corridors of power. Expansion of pornography in our society. Gender confusion. And I've not even turned to the rise of new technologies that seem to be threatening us. Uh, there the, are the worries of artificial intelligence. Uh, new cyber weapons are now being developed by a number of countries. We feel we are living in insecure times. No wonder the index on anxiety is skyroof now. At all levels of society, people are worried. All of us can help but ask ourselves, where is the world going? Where is our country going? Where is my life going? If you have children, you worry about the future. What will their future look like? Grandchildren's future. Everyone cares about the future, don't they? We want to know what is ahead of us. Even those of you who are young, you care about what tomorrow will bring, the day after. Uh, you care about that. That's why you watch the news. That's why people invest in pensions. That's why, that's why people have savings accounts, right? That's why you're going to school. You care about the future. You want to know what will tomorrow bring, what lies ahead of us, so that we can manage the risks of the future. In fact, all of our lives is about managing the risks of the future. The job manages the risk of you not eating tomorrow. We all care about the future. And so we need to ask, we, we need to know the answer to that question, don't we? I wonder how you're answering that question. If I asked you, where is this world going? How would you answer it? Do you know where the world is going? How do you know where the world is going? Are you ready for where the world is going? You see, many people claim to know the future, don't they? The psychics are good at this. They claim to tell us that they know what our future holds. But strangely enough, psychics, uh, they don't seem to get the lottery numbers quite perfect. 
Because by now all of them should be rich and out of business and doing something else. And the reason for that, of course, is that psychics don't know the future. The scientists tell us that the, the planet might disappear in 10 years' time, we are told by some. Climate change, the specter of climate change. But you see, when you read their reports, and I've read the IPC report actually, uh, because I read it as part of my job when I was at DFT. I had to read it because we were working at that time to expand this airport, and we had a lot of protesters quoting uh, the IPC reports. So I read one of the IPC reports, and it's interesting when you read the IPC reports, well, it's full of assumptions, isn't it? And they're also just guessing. All forecasting is guesswork. So the scientists don't know, the psychics don't know, I don't know, do you know? Well, there's only, in order for a person to correctly predict the future, to know where the future is going, they must control all things. That's the only way for you to predict the future. You must be able to bring the future into being. Infinite knowledge requires infinite power. And there is only one person who has that, the God of the Bible. We, he knows where the world is going. And the good news of the Bible is that this infinite God, this God with infinite power and infinite knowledge has come down to us in the person of Jesus. The Bible you're holding in your hand is the word of God. And the Jesus we meet in the Bible is the unknowing God himself with us. If you want to know where the world is going, then you must listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to his words in Mark 13, verse 1 to verse 37 here. And Jesus here tells us, uh, and as we look at his words here, uh, we can be sure and ready for the future. So please look with me to verse 1 of Mark 13, verse 1 to 37. Jesus, uh, you remember, is in his last day of his life. It is a Tuesday. Uh, he has been in the temple. And he's now living. He's now living the temple. Uh, let's read verse 1 of that. And he said, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, that is Jesus, Look, teacher, what stones and what wonderful building. So Jesus is in, just living the temple, and the disciple uh, you know, wants to have a bit of a Facebook moment, I guess. He has seen something nice. That blows his mind away. He's in this great building. We see that when we're on holidays. This is amazing. Wow. And he turns to Jesus, doesn't he? He says, you know, click like on this. All right? You know, say this is what, you know, do you, this is amazing, isn't it? Do you agree? Or, you know, or just a comment, right? And Jesus appreciates architecture, doesn't he? He appreciates what has just been pointed out. He agrees the temple looks great. These are great buildings. But to the shock of the disciples, he says the temple will not last forever. Let's read on verse 2. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? So he agrees they are great buildings. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The disciples are shocked as Jesus says these words because the temple symbolizes the presence of God in the world. A world without the temple must mean God is coming to judge us. That's what they are thinking now when Jesus says this temple will be destroyed. It, to them it means the end of the world. So as we expect, as they hear these words about the temple, um, a few of them decide to call at Jesus, right? <laughs> to try and get him 
Give up some more information. So they go to him. Let's read on this 3 to 4. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John said, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, just interesting note there, like the, the accuracy of the Bible. Like, like the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. And this geographical accuracy is amazing because the Mount of Olives is really opposite where the temple was. And I just note that, you know, like the Bible is so reliable. And as we're going through this, uh, you are just puzzled by that little note. And you take note that this truly is the word of God. It gets everything spot on. But I just want to point out that the questions they are asking him here, there are really two questions the disciples are asking Jesus. When will the temple be destroyed? Tell us, when will these things be? That's the first question. And the second question is, how are we going to know it is coming? What will lead up to it? That's what they say in verse 4. And what will be the sign when all these things are about to become accomplished? Now, that's the question they are asking. But as Matthew, Levi Matthew, one of the disciples who was there, tells us, you know, he's, around the, he's not with the four, but he, he picked up some details. The assumption underneath their question, actually, as I've said, is that the destruction of the temple means the end of the world. These are the two questions. When will the temple be destroyed? What signs will lead up to it? But sitting underneath it is that when all of these things happen, when those things happen, the world will also end. We know that not simply from, from um, the assumption Jesus makes, but also because Matthew tells us in his version of this question. If you turn to Matthew 24, you don't have to, and you just read verse 1 to 2. To Matthew, let me just... Turn to that, Matthew 24, and verse, Matthew 24, verse 1 to 2. Here, there on page 829, he says this, in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Right? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So if you like, the underlying assumption, as I said, if you go back to Mark chapter 13, is that when the temple is destroyed, they also expect the end to come. We need to keep that in mind. Why have I made us just read that passage? Well, because what we have in Mark 13 is Jesus' answer about the destruction of the temple intertwined with his comments about the end of time. This is what makes Mark 13 the most complex chapter in all of Scripture. Books and books have been written about it. And this is why we're doing an area scan of Mark 13 first before we look at the detail. Because we might say Jesus here is painting the future of the temple, right, like an, like an artist, he's painting the future of the temple on a bigger painting of the future of the world. 
we have two pictures here in one. So for us to understand the, 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 for us to understand what Jesus is teaching, we need to step back and look at the whole picture before we look at the individual parts. And so we're going to have seven sermons on this. This is the first sermon. Uh, that will give us an overview. And this is what I want us to do today. Uh, I want us to look at the overview of Mark 13. And we can summarize all of Mark 13 in one sentence. Okay? What is Mark 13 about? In one sentence, it's about the world will get worse before it gets better when Jesus returns. The world will get worse, worse and worse, before it gets better when Jesus returns. So let me unpack this thing for you. Just briefly look at that truth for you. So truth number one, the world will get worse and worse. And we see that from verse 1 to verse 23. The world will get worse and worse. Now, according to Jesus, human history, right, runs in a straight line, not in a circle. You know, it runs in a straight line. With every year that passes, everything is getting worse and worse. Let's read verse 5 to verse 8. That's what he's saying, basically, there. It's 5 to 8. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am him. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Before I proceed further, I should have pointed out, ignore the headings in your Bible as we go through this. They won't help you at this point. Okay? The headings are not inspired. What will help you is the words themselves. We want to step back from the heading to really say, what does the scripture say to us? Okay, we just read there Jesus talking about in verse 5 to, to 8. Now, what Jesus has just told the disciples in verse 5 to 8 these four disciples, is really answering the second question. What signs should they see before the temple is destroyed? Jesus' answer is that there will be religious and social and economic chaos before the temple is destroyed. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nations. Kingdoms against kingdoms. And then he adds, you also suffer for me. You guys standing in front of me, you suffer for me, Jesus says. Let's read on verse 9 to verse 13. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents, and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying to these disciples, do not expect your lives from now on in this world to be better from now. 
You suffer as you take the gospel to the nations. So there are nations at that time in this context. It's just really the nations, Judea, Sumeria, going forward to the end of the, the world. He's taking the nation, the gospel to the Roman world. And Jesus is saying, when you see, when you see these things, just, sorry, let me, let me back up a little bit. And Jesus is saying, these things will happen to you. Do not be surprised about them. And we shall see this evening in more detail how the words of Jesus actually were fulfilled when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. We see all the evidence for verse 9 to verse 13. This, well, verse 9 to verse 13, we'll see it next week, this in the morning, but this evening we'll see certainly verse 5 to verse 8. Because you see, the period leading up to the destruction of the temple was marked by these very signs that Jesus has pointed out. And interestingly enough, if you read chapter 13 and then this afternoon read Acts, you see actually Acts, the book of Acts, mentioning many of these signs. Famines, wars taking, instability taking place. Things got worse leading up to AD 70. But our Lord Jesus here is saying more than that. He's saying, when you see these things, these are just the beginning. Look at this eight. For nations will rise against nations. Or should I back up a little bit? Yeah, nations will rise against nations. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But what does he say? These are but the beginning of birth pains. Jesus is saying the world is like a woman in labor. In the period up to AD 70, the water broke. And mild contractions began. And after that, it has been getting worse ever since AD 70. And this is what Jesus means when we get to verse 14 to verse 23. Look at that. These verses now are referring to the time after AD 70. This is very important. Look at that. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is, not, who is in the field not turn back to his clock. Turn back to take his clock. You can't turn back to your clock. You know, just turn back to take, don't turn back to take your clock, right? Verse 17. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is a Christ. Or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders. To lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. The message of verse 14 to 23 is crystal clear. We know Jesus is not talking about the destruction of the temple. Why? Because of verse 19. You can't miss that. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. 
and never will be. This is the ultimate. This is leading up to a crescendo. This is the crescendo, so to speak. He talks about that. The great tribulation. So the message of verse 1 to verse 23 is that the world is getting worse before AD 70 for the disciples. And it will continue to get worse from AD 70 for us here. We are living in a time when it's getting worse and worse. And where is the world headed to? The answer of verse 1 to 23 is that it is headed for the great tribulation before the end of the age. We need to pause just here. It's a lot of information. We need to pause and take this in. Because we need to realize that the reason the world is getting worse is because it is already under the wrath and judgment of God. We have to ask ourselves, why is the world getting worse? Well, it's getting worse because it is under the wrath and judgment of God. Jesus is saying the world has caught the fire of God's judgment. And this fire it has caught is getting larger and larger. And it will keep getting worse until the day of judgment. He's saying the events that are happening in our world, they are like a loud fire alarm triggered by God to warn everyone that our house is on fire. Dow God for help. Jesus is saying, do not ignore the fire alarm. You need to dial for God to come and save you from the fire of judgment that is coming before it is too late. And here's the good news. God has already made his way to you. He has come as the divine fireman in Jesus to come and rescue you. He has entered this world that is on fire, that has caught the fire of his judgment. God has come. He's taken on the flames of fire of judgment on himself on the cross. The flames that threaten to engulf you by dying on the cross for your sin. Right there on the cross, Jesus endures the flames of God's judgment in, in your place. And what you need to do is not to ignore the, the fire alarm. You need to allow God to rescue you. Isn't it foolish if your house was on fire, you just stay in the house and ignore the fire alarm? No. Respond to the fire alarm. Let the divine fireman, Jesus himself, rescue you out of the judgment that threatens you. But being in Jesus, beloved, will not prevent you sharing in the suffering of the world. That's all, what we are saying. It won't stop you hearing the disturbing noise of fire alarms that are around you around right now. Right? No, no, but it will ensure you are kept from the final fire of judgment. It ensures that even as things get worse in the world, if you're trusting in Jesus, you will remain safe in Christ. So the first action point as we get this through that things are getting worse, the first action for each one of us is let us put our trust in Jesus. He's your only hope in this world. Don't, don't ignore what's happening. Allow the chaos of this world to escort you to Jesus. Let him be your only hope in this life. Repent of your sin. Surrender your life to the divine fireman the Lord Jesus. Let him rescue you from the coming fires of judgment. Become a true follower of Jesus. And that means acknowledging your sin, turning from your sin, repenting, bringing your sin before God so that he can give you a new heart 
and you can become a truly follower of Jesus. You need to do that because if you do not do that, you suffer the flames of God's judgment forever. And you miss on the wonderful truth of, of Jesus in this passage. The wonderful truth is this, this is our second truth. The first truth is that the world is getting worse, right? The second wonderful truth is this. That's, that's a terrible truth, so to speak, right? <laughs> Here's the wonderful good news of the passage. It is this. Jesus is coming to make life better for us, for his followers. That's what this passage is about. Jesus is coming to make life better for us. And we see that in verse 24 to verse 27. In recent years, the world, the world of cinema has seen an influx of superhero films that are based on old pagan myths of Greek gods and Norse gods. I was watching a program on Netflix called Myths and, and Legends or something, and I realized that I didn't know much about Myths and Legends, really. And I realized all the stuff I've been watching in the Avengers, and it's all, it's all kind of pagan stuff. I, I, I'm still watching it as you know, artistic. But I realized that it's all based on these Greek gods and Norse gods. What's going on? Well, what's going on is that, according to the film experts, the reason why the Western world is, is, is turning to these Greek gods and Norse gods and, and turning them into heroes, etc., is because we're feeling anxious, more gloomy, more fearful, more hopeless about life. We have abandoned the God of the Bible, of course, haven't we? So we need new gods now to sustain us. Gods fit for our age. We are longing for someone to come and save us. Someone mighty, someone powerful who can banish away our darkness, give us a new life of peace, and we've turned to these myths of the past. Well, the Bible says the hero we long for, isn't that foolish, by the way? Just so foolish, turning to crippling things, myths and legends to sustain us in, this, in the digital age. Quite shocking. But the Bible says the hero we long for has already actually come to save us. Jesus is God who has come, laid down his life for our sins. And he's returning to make life better for us. That's what verse 24 to 27 is about. It says this. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Praise the Lord, isn't it? The tribulation will be followed by the bodily and personal appearance of our Lord Jesus on earth. And he will be coming to bring his children home into a new heaven and a new earth. The old earth will be burned up. And those who have rejected Jesus, who haven't truly surrendered to Jesus, will be consigned to the flames of judgment in hell forever. But those who follow Jesus, who enter a new order of existence, where they will live forever with God, where there will be no more sin and no more pain. You know, the passage we read this morning at the prayer meeting, Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5, says this, John says this in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth 
had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a, vo a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of man is with God. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne saying, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. They will happen. Where is the world going, folks? Well, this is where it is going for us who are in Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus, this is where you are going. You will see Jesus, our God, face to face. Oh, can you imagine what it will be like? We can pick any of our favorite moments in life. Perhaps you, you landed your dream job. You traveled to a wonderful summer vacation. Perhaps you are looking forward to one this year. Right? Or perhaps, today is my anniversary as it turns out, perhaps the day you met your, when I met Eunice for me. Right? That was a wonderful day. Like, yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, perhaps the time you watch your first child being born, right? Or perhaps for some of you, that first moment when you pushed your grandchild on a swing, those are eternal moments, aren't they? Well, nothing will compare to the day we meet Jesus. To see Jesus in all his glory and splendor. And to be transformed to be like he is. If you're trusting in Jesus, this truth should fill you with thanks to Jesus for saving you. It should fill you with peace in every circumstances. We've been praying for a lot of situations happening in our lives this morning. We don't know really what tomorrow brings. But what we know is we know who knows the future. And we know that one day we'll see his him face to face. It does not matter what the world brings in your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is the big picture of your life. Jesus is coming to be with you. And Jesus has promised to gather you in, to bring you safely into his eternal kingdom, into the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, so I don't want to trivialize the worries that you have, but literally what Jesus is saying to you is stop worrying about this world and start getting ready to welcome Jesus. And that's the final point here, isn't it? The first point is the world is getting worse and worse. We see that from verse 1 to verse 23. The second point is Jesus is coming to make life better for us. And we've seen that from verse 24 to verse 27. Well, how should we respond? Be ready to welcome Jesus. That's what verse 28 to verse 37 actually is about. The reason Mark 13 is, in the, is here in the Bible uh, really is for two reasons. First, Jesus wants the first generation of Christians to be ready for the destruction of Jerusalem. He doesn't want them to be taken by surprise. He doesn't want them to be confused that destruction with the idea that Jesus is coming. And when they don't see him turn up, then they lose hope and say, let's close down church. We thought he was coming, he hasn't turned up, time to go home. No, he doesn't want them to do that. 
And that's what gives them the answer to that second question, the first question. When will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? Well, Jesus comes back to that. He hasn't forgotten the question. Look at verse 28 to verse 31, because it's all about that. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things, remember the question was, when will these things be? Jesus says, when you see these things I've already described earlier, taking place, you know that he is near. He's speaking second person. At the very gates, truly I say to you, this generation, your generation, will not pass away until these things, the destruction of the temple, take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. These things, as I keep repeating, is referring to the, these things they originally asked about. Verse 1 to 13. That lead up to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus has answered the question about the timeline. Did you notice? His answer in verse 30 to verse 31 says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things will take place. We'll, we'll spend more time unpacking that. But just remember that a generation is 40 years. Jesus is speaking in AD 33. And in AD 70, within a generation, well, the prophecy was fulfilled. We know that Jerusalem was destroyed within a generation. And we know that that generation now begins the ticking clock going forward. At AD 70 begins the end time tick clock. Verse 29 tells us that, doesn't it? So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. All Jesus is saying is that since AD 70, the return of Jesus has been imminent. So he wants all followers of Jesus living after AD 70 to be ready. He's at the airport. He's coming home. He has been at the airport ready to come home since AD 70. That's what Jesus means. He's saying to us, look, I won't give you the exact timeline. Just know I'm in town. I'm as good as being in town. So be ready. Look at verse 32 to verse 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. We unpack that more. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But be on guard. Keep awake. Which is hopefully I'm trying to repeat this morning as you follow me for the last half of 30 minutes. Keep awake, he says, right? For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servant in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the clock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I said to you, I said to all, he says to us today, stay awake. And obviously, I should be reading that passage a bit more every time I preach. Uh, it's good for encouraging you to stay awake. There's a lot in these verses, and we're going to unpack them as we go through this chapter um, that we'll explore in the future. But what Jesus is saying to his followers is very simple. Be ready for my return. Stay awake. You know where the world is going. Yes, it's getting worse and worse. But I am coming to make all things new. So be ready to welcome me, Jesus says. How can we be ready to welcome Jesus? Well, 
by continuing to lay down our lives for him every day. We must keep surrendering to Jesus. The Gospel of Mark is about Mark 8, verse 34 to verse 38. This is the heart of Mark. If you practice anything in Mark, practice Mark 8, verse 34 to verse 38. You should know it by heart by now, because we keep mentioning it. It says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Notice the eschatological link there Jesus draws here. If you are a true follower of Jesus, you are already on the guest list to meet and welcome Jesus. We know that. And he can't wait to see you face to face. He's ready to come. He's just waiting for the Father to say, when will I see Ola? When will I see Andrew? He's just, he's just waiting for the Father to give the go-ahead for him to return. So you're already on the guest list. You are born again, you're trusting in Jesus. Yes, great. You are on the waiting list. You are, you are on the guest list, not the waiting list. Well, you are on the waiting list, right? <laughs> waiting to see him. But it's not like a long waiting. It's not the NHS, right? Uh, we all get to see him, right? And the evidence that you are really his follower and that you are scheduled to meet Jesus is that you are living in a way that shows evidence that you are ready to meet him. You are getting ready to welcome Jesus every day. If the husband has traveled abroad for six months, right, and the wife is not having sleepless nights all the time he's away, or they have not every night, but, right? <laughs> but if she's not having any sleepless nights, does she love the husband? Six months? Come on, ladies, six months. Nah. <laughs> if when she hears that the husband has landed at the airport, and he's taking a cup on the way home, and then she calls up her best friend and says, can we go out to Jesus to eat now? Does she love her husband? Of course not. We expect a spouse, a wife, who loves her husband to drop everything that will stop her welcoming the husband she loves, right? You know, when my father was away and he's coming back, my mother turned the whole place upside down. You knew he's coming back. Boy, iron your shirts, be ready. All that kind of stuff, right? That, that's love, isn't it? Because she loves her husband and she longed to see him. Well, if we love Jesus, we'll be ready for him. You know that the one who's coming from heaven is your brother, your friend, your king, your lord, your love, your husband, your heaven. Surely, if you know him, you won't be ready to welcome him. In fact, when you read these words, you know that Jesus is only telling you something that you already know in your heart. Being ready to welcome Jesus means living as a person about to meet our Lord face to face at any moment he chooses. I wonder, friends, if you knew that Jesus would come next Sunday, what would this coming week look like for you? What would it look like for you? If you knew he was going to come on Sunday next week, what would this coming week look like for you? 
How would you want it to end? How would you want it to be like? What more would you do for God where he has placed you? You still go to work. He expects you to work. He's put you there. So don't say, I'll just give up work, right? <laughs> no, no, no. He expects you to find you at work, wherever he has placed you. What more would you do for God at home? As a wife, as a husband, as a, as a son, as a daughter? That you haven't already done. What more would you do for God at work where God has placed you, at that place of work, to, sh to shine for him? What more would you do for God in this fellowship? This Sunday, you only have one more Sunday, right? If you know it's coming next time, what more would you do this coming week for the fellowship that you have not yet done? What would you change in your life if you knew sure he's coming next Sunday? What would you no longer tolerate in your life? Which person would you agently seek to share Jesus with? Invite to church for next Sunday. Well, hopefully before next Sunday, perhaps Saturday and Thursday. Next Sunday will be too late, right? Which person would you want to ask for their forgiveness? And would you want to agently forgive so you don't face Jesus with all this baggage of things you haven't made straight? How would you manage your finances? Jesus has left you in your care. How would you prioritize how much you should be doing on what? How would your commitment to this church look like? Would you still be on the fringe of church membership? Would you still not have sorted out your baptism or would you call me, Pastor, I must be baptized on Tuesday. It's going to happen. Interview me for membership right now. Jesus is saying, work on these things now. You know where the world is going. It is being prepared for my imminent arrival. Live for me now. And beloved friends, we have wasted our lives in sin before we met Jesus. Let us not hold on to this present dying world. Let us set our hearts on the new world. That's why Mark 13 is there. Oh friends, be ready for our Lord Jesus when he comes. Be ready to meet your king. Be ready to meet your brother, your friend. Be ready to see your savior. Be ready to see your God. Be ready to look in the wonderful, infinite eyes of Jesus, of infinite beauty. Be ready to tell Jesus on that great day how much you missed him. Be ready to meet him and thank him for saving you from sin. Be ready to give him an account if he were to come any moment now. Be ready by making your life a prayer to him every day. Surrender it all to him. No ifs, no buts. Well, where is the world going? Well, it is getting worse. But our Lord Jesus says he's coming to make life better for us who are in Christ. So let us be ready. That's the message of Mark. Be ready. Jesus is on his way. And we'll explore that, those verses in Mark in more detail over the next three Sundays. Amen.